And please turn in your New Testaments to Acts chapter 26, verses 19 through 32, as we have been looking at this narrative of the life of, and ministry of the Apostle Paul. If you do not have a copy of the Scriptures, we've provided them in the chair back in front of you. And I would encourage you to, to open up to Acts 26, because we've got uh, a, a lengthy narrative today. You know, Paul believed in the resurrection before he ever became a Christian. Did you know that? Paul believed in the resurrection before he ever knew Jesus Christ. Well, we know that because Paul was one of the leading young minds and teachers among the Pharisees. And one of the distinguishing marks of the Pharisees was their belief in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees did believe in the resurrection. But... The resurrection Paul believed in was at the end of time. At what is called the day of the Lord. Whenever the Messiah would come and the Messiah would show up and the Messiah would be powerful and, and the Messiah would judge the nations that had opposed Israel and he would bring justice and righteousness and powerfully make all things new. And the resurrection... And you know, this is still the viewpoint of Orthodox Judaism today, that there will be a resurrection, but it will be kind of the unstoppable, all-powerful thing that the Messiah, as they are still waiting for Him, will bring at the end. So, the idea that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah, and that He said, I am the resurrection and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. The, the, the idea that he said he was the resurrection was preposterous to the Apostle Paul. And it was out of order anyway, because the resurrection is not supposed to happen to the end of time. And the Romans, we would know, would be conquered if the real Messiah came. And the Romans are still here. In fact, the Romans are not only still here, but they killed Jesus. Oh, and that brings up another problem with Jesus being the Messiah because they nailed him to a tree and Deuteronomy says, cursed is anyone who is hung on a tree. So he can't be cursed. He can't be the Messiah, the all-powerful. That was before Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus. We read a little bit in the, the text before our text is, Paul appears before these great people that he begins to tell his personal testimony of what happened to him. Paul says, there was nobody like me in Judaism. Nobody was more zealous for the law and the teachings of the fathers than me. Nobody wanted to stamp out this ridiculous religion of Jesus being the resurrection and the Messiah more than I did. And I was on my way to Damascus to put an end, you know, they, the, the Christians had fled because of me, to put an end to this Christianity thing once and for all, when suddenly a bright light, brighter than the sun, he says in our text, a light from heaven blinded him and he was knocked down. And then a voice from heaven said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul, as he was called then, knew that that was the voice of God. And so Saul asked, Who are you? 
And the answer was, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus was speaking in real time. He was not dead. And Jesus was the resurrection. And, you know, as Paul turned to Jesus, and there's a whole process with with the scales falling off of Paul's eyes and the awareness of everything that is happening to him, there is this moment where this young man who has studied under the foremost theologian in all of Judaism, suddenly all these truths that he had learned all begin to come together and coalesce around the fact that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That's what those suffering servant passages in Isaiah and in Psalm 22, that's what they mean, that the Messiah had to die. That's why Jesus in the Last Supper identified himself not as a conquering hero that would kick out the Romans, but identified himself with the Passover lamb that would be slain for the sins of the people. That's why, as he read in Isaiah, in the book of Daniel, in other places, that's why the Messiah was to rise again. And the resurrection power that Paul always believed in down here at the end of time, and he knew it was unstoppable, the resurrection power he now realized had come into the world and was here. And the kingdom of God could not be stopped. And Paul turned to Christ and he personally experienced the resurrection power of Jesus. And Christ not only forgave his sins based on that sacrifice made on the cross, but he also gave him new and eternal life and raised him into a new life. I remember three weeks before my own conversion mocking God and three weeks later saying, you are the Messiah and and, and a brand new life. Paul says to the people that he is in front of very joyfully, I obeyed the vision that I had from Jesus on the Damascus Road. And and what I've been doing for the last 20 years is telling everybody I can about Jesus. And he had gone out into all the Roman Empire and the Jews hated him for it. Today, Paul is standing before kings. We find Paul kind of testifying before the two most powerful people in Israel. Just as Jesus in Matthew 10, 16 foretold that his apostles would be dragged before kings and they would have to speak. And Jesus said, but don't worry because the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say in that time. And boy, did the Holy Spirit give Paul the words to say. I'd like to work off of of one sentence today to to try to help this narrative come together for us. And the sentence is simply this. The gospel was before kings to show the power of the resurrection is greater than any earthly power. The gospel was before the greatest powers in the world, and he would soon be before Caesar. The gospel was before kings to show that resurrection power is greater than than any earthly power. First of all, I want us to look at Paul before the kings. How did Paul, this itinerant preacher, end up in an audience before the two most powerful men in Israel? Well, I'm going to give you a little background here, all right? 
Paul had come back after 20 years of preaching the gospel in the Gentile world, and he had come back to Jerusalem. And Paul went into the temple, and people had spread rumors about Paul that Paul no longer cared for the Old Testament. Paul was trying to downgrade uh, what it meant to, to be a Jew, that Paul was teaching Jews that you don't need to worry about the law of Moses. Nothing could have been further than the tr- from the truth. Paul was telling Gentiles that they didn't have to be circumcised was the truth. But let's don't let the truth stop us when we want to kill Paul. And right there in that outer court, right there by the door of the temple, there were people that just rushed Paul and were killing him and beating him and pulling his beard. Suddenly there was a riot. I mean, this is just violent. And the only thing that saved Paul's life is that someone told the authorities, the tribune with the centurions and the soldiers, and man, the riot police are just rushing into the temple area. They're pushing people out of the way, pulling people out of the way, and they finally get to Paul, save his life just by by a hair's breath. They drag Paul into the garrison, kind of the, the barracks where they were always safe from whatever was happening on the outside. Paul goes into the garrison, and then they're gonna, the Romans are going to beat Paul. And that is when Paul says, so you're going to beat a Roman citizen? Whoa. They said, you are a Roman citizen? He says, yeah. And the tribune says, look, I bought my Roman citizenship, and it cost me a lot of money. And Paul says, I was born a Roman citizen. And so you don't beat a Roman citizen. And a Roman citizen gets due process every single time. And so they are backing way off. Now, at this particular time, the the, the Jews that want to kill him are demanding that Paul be brought out of that garrison, brought into their courts, and tried. And there are 40 men, probably members of what is called the Sakari, kind of a terrorist group in in Israel, 40 men that have pledged to kill Paul, to not eat or drink until he's dead. And so, the Romans say, we're not letting a Roman citizen be exposed to that and so do you know where they take paul they take paul up the coast to the most secure place that a roman could take you to that gleaming new city that they had built very recently beautifully called caesarea like caesarea it's named after caesar it was the 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 new roman city so when paul was brought into caesarea he was safe from the jews that wanted to kill him and they started demanding immediately that he be brought back, you know, extradited back to Jerusalem for trial. Paul went before the governor of, of Judea. Remember Pontius Pilate? You know, the kind of weenie that couldn't face down Jesus. Uh, this is like two, two governors after Pontius Pilate, Felix, and he also was a, very indecisive. Paul is before Felix. Felix doesn't have a decision. Paul's still in Caesarea. Felix, being so indecisive, got pulled by Rome. And this is where we come to our text, that the next governor, Roman governor of Judea, named Festus, is installed in Caesarea. And Festus is going to have to make a decision what to do with Paul. But there's a problem. Festus has only been in Judea for two days. He doesn't know what to write to Rome. And King Agrippa, remember the Herods? Remember the Herods? This is kind of a couple of Herods down. King Agrippa, the the, the, the king permitted by Rome over all of Israel, the Jewish king, comes down to meet the new Roman governor, and Festus is so glad because Agrippa knows all about Judaism, and Agrippa can fill out the form 
of what this controversy is all about and send this form on, on to Rome. And, uh, and so we find ourselves here in Paul, Paul defending himself before Festus and Agrippa, the king, and his wife Bernice is there as well. So finally, we get to our text. Thank you very much for your patience. Our text is verse 19 of Acts 26. And I will give comment as I read. Paul gives his testimony, and then he, stand, then he says this in verse 19. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision on the road to Damascus, but declared first to those in Damascus, and then Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to all the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance." For this reason, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. To this day, I have had the help that comes from God, and I also stand here today testifying to both small and great. And I say nothing but what the prophets and Moses have already said would come to pass. What did the prophets and Moses say, verse 23, that the Messiah, the Christ, must suffer and that by being first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light to both our people, the Jews, and to the Gentiles. And as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus, right off the boat from Rome, said with a loud voice, interrupted Paul, Paul, you are crazy. You are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. A lot of scholars believe we have a representative kind of, you know, sample of this speech of Paul, that Paul may have gone way deep into the Scriptures and began to quote all these Scriptures. And, and so Festus would say, you are all this learning. You're crazy. You're out of your mind. But Paul said... Verse 25, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus. By the way, next time somebody calls you crazy, just like somebody named Bob calls you, you can say, most excellent Bob, I'm not crazy. That's just better than shut up. <laughs> I'm not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking true and rational words. And he turns to Agrippa, because Festus doesn't know anything about Judaism. And now he's going to speak to Agrippa. For the king, Agrippa, knows about these things. And to him I speak boldly. For I am persuaded that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this has not been done in a corner. That was kind of a, a Roman phrase that just basically says this is very public. He knows. He has seen the church. He has seen it all. He turns to Agrippa because Agrippa does believe in the Old Testament. Verse 27, he asked him point blank, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. Now, you got to feel sorry a little bit for King Agrippa at this moment. King Agrippa wants to impress the new governor of Judea, Festus. King Agrippa comes down and the first thing Paul does is just point blanks him like you're going to decide about Jesus right now. 
King Agrippa, I'm sure, not only wants to get to know Festus and to help him out filling out this form that has to go to Rome, I think King Agrippa was very curious to hear the greatest mind of the church and to really be exposed to the teaching of the church. And basically, King Agrippa says to Paul in as many words, I'm not going to make a decision right now because just because you ask. And what he does is he does what a lot of us do when we're uncomfortable with a question. He answers the question with a question. Verse 28, And Agrippa said to Paul, In such a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, Whether a short time or long, I would to God that not only you, but all those who hear me this day, because there were others in the chamber. Can you imagine being in the chamber and seeing Paul? That all those who hear me this day might become a Christian, might become such as I am, except for these chains that y'all have put on me. Verse 30. Then the king arose, and the governor, and Bernice, the king's wife, and those who were sitting with them, and they all withdrew. They all went out of the chamber, and they said to one another, not in the hearing of Paul, this man has done nothing to deserve death and nothing to deserve imprisonment. And Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free today had he not appealed to Caesar. Uh, by the way, there wasn't a letter written to Caesar yet. The truth is, is that Festus and Agrippa could have freed Paul anyway. You know why they sent Paul to Rome? One of the things is that God was calling Paul to Rome, and this is how an itinerant preacher gets in front of these kings, is by the, the providence of God. But the other reason is this was a huge political issue, and Festus was two days on the job, and they just kicked that political football, football all the way to Rome. I mean, they are just, they are just not going to deal with it. So, the gospel was before kings to show that the power of the resurrection is greater than any earthly power. I want to talk about the power of the resurrection, and I'd like to talk about the power of the resurrection in our lives as well. Paul knew that the power of Jesus was the power of the resurrection. And he knew it in his own life, and he knew that the kingdom of God was here. You know, remember the, Paul believed in the resurrection before he was saved? Oh yeah, we believe it, but it's way out here. And everybody agreed that when the real Messiah would come, nobody would stop him. He would judge the nations. He would make everything right. He would rule from Jerusalem. His kingdom would be eternal. It would make all things new. And what Paul knows is that very power to renew all things at the end of the book has broken into the middle of the book. It's broken into time and space right now. And Paul has experienced this. And this is one of the reasons Paul has such confidence as he preaches the gospel. Remember what Paul said? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. For it is... The power of God unto salvation to all who believe. First to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. This is why Paul was not so much worried when he was in danger. He believed he was in the hands of the one whose very power would restore all things. And his mighty power 
this resurrection power through the risen Christ was working through Paul and protecting him. And Paul taught this reality from the Old Testament. In fact, one of the most famous places where we read this is 1 Corinthians 15.3, where Paul says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. And who did he receive it from? He says he received it, received it from Christ himself. I deliver to you the most important thing, what is of first importance that I also received And here it is, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And that He was buried and He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. you see the according to the Scriptures part? This is what Paul is telling Agrippa and Festus. I don't know why they're trying to kill me. I'm not saying anything that Moses and the prophets have not clearly said would come to pass. But Paul is not the only person who teaches about Christ's death and resurrection in the Old Testament. You know who the other person that really made it clear and kind of ended the debate? Jesus himself taught about this. I think Jesus knows the Old Testament. What do you think? Like Jesus, the Word of God incarnate? And he was crucified. And only one of his disciples showed up at the cross. And they were all scattered. And they took him down. Spear through his side, nails through his hands and his feet. And they put him in a tomb. And those people were scattered. Those people were depressed. Those people were dejected. And on the third day, which was Sunday, on that Easter morning, he appeared to the women. And the women told the apostles, and they ran, and they they did not find the body of Jesus. But he appeared to somebody else that day, didn't he? There were two disciples, just so dejected, just hangdog. You know, walking back from Jerusalem to where they were from, and that was the little village of Emmaus. And someone joined them in the journey, and it was Jesus. And do you know, isn't it interesting to you that they didn't recognize Jesus right off? And yet they did finally recognize Him. Do you know why they didn't recognize Jesus right off? Because Jesus really was resurrected and had a new body, and all things were new, and that very power. And Jesus is the sign to us that we also will have new bodies one day, and all of us is saved. But they didn't recognize Him because He had a resurrected body, and yet they did recognize Him. It's kind of mysterious. But Jesus is walking along, and He, and he says, why, you know, why are you so downcast? Well, haven't you heard about the things that have happened in Jerusalem? What things? Are you the only person that has not heard this? And, and they said, we, you know, we had just hoped that he was the one. We, we just hoped that he was going to come and restore Israel to its right, that he would be the Messiah, kind of that last days type of powerful Messiah. And, and he was killed. And some of the women have amazed us. And they said that they were seen, saw an angel, and, and, and that he appeared to them, but we did not find his body. And we read in Matthew twenty four twenty five, and Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken about. It's kind of a different version of, have you not read? Because if you had understood what Moses and the prophets said, you would know that the Messiah would rise. 
Verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to them in all the scriptures concerning himself. Wouldn't that have been amazing? So you think Jesus knows the Old Testament? Yes. Jesus said about himself that he was the Messiah. Jesus, when he preached, what did he preach? There's a phrase that he kept saying. It wasn't just believe in me. Jesus would say this, repent and believe for the kingdom of God is here. That which is, you thought was over here at the end is here now. The kingdom of God is at hand right now through me. In fact, do you remember in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, very beginning, he went to his hometown and he taught in the synagogue of Nazareth. He was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. He opened the scroll, you know, just one big scroll for the, the whole book. He opened the scroll. He went down to a particular place in the prophet Isaiah and he read these words out loud. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and, think about Jesus' ministry, to re the recovery of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is about the Messiah. Everybody sitting in that synagogue knew this was about that guy way down here. And he rolled up the scroll, we read, and he gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down because you taught sitting down at that time. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, listen to these words, just let these words just rock your world. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. He's here. He's me and the kingdom of God and the release of captives and sight for the blind and the power of God to save and renew all things is here and now. I am the Messiah and that power is here. You know, this should give us great confidence as well because we know that Because we, 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 we recognize that Jesus will come back. We recognize the great power of the second coming and the wrapping up of all things. The very same thing that that power at the end of the book has come into the middle. Has come into our own lives. If we have put our trust in Jesus. We know that the restoration of all things right now is on the move. In the gospel. The kingdom of God is coming on earth at a breakneck pace right now. All around the world. The reports that we hear in certain areas of the world are astounding. How the kingdom of darkness is being pushed back and the kingdom of God is triumphing because people are believing the gospel and they are looking to Jesus for resurrection power as they preach the gospel and believing that God can save and not only save, but change people and change cultures and even change nations. And I would point out the nation of Korea as a great example of that. And that is why Paul, 
is before governors and kings because the most powerful power in the world is confronted with the greater power of the resurrection of Jesus. And as for the Jews, Jews that wanted to kill Paul, the Jews that opposed him and said, no, he's not the Messiah, let me tell you what happened to them. Their temple was destroyed, leveled in 70 A.D. It has never appeared again. It is a mosque to this day. Let me tell you about the Romans. You know, the unstoppable, undeniable power on earth. They're a ruin. They're over. Let me tell you about the church. The church has grown. Jesus Christ and His power and the power of the resurrection into this world is expanding and spreading. Look, Paul is there before these powers. Paul is the one with the power within him. Paul is the one that is on the right side of history and they don't even know it as he proclaims the resurrection of Jesus. You know, one of our problems is that very often we don't look to Christ in our actual lives. Let me just say, this is not to say that everything that we go through, if you just look to Jesus, it'll all go away. But I will tell you this, is that Sometimes the reason people say, well, you know, Christians don't look that much different than anybody else is because we really don't look to Jesus sometimes any more than anybody else. And there is resurrection power and there is wisdom and there is enough love and there is enough for God to begin to change us. Isn't that a wonderful thing? God changes us when we look to Him. And, you know, very often He changes the situation. He chooses what that change looks like. He chooses the time frame of that. It is all for our good. But the power comes through a relationship with Christ. The power comes because He is raised from the dead and He has made us new and we are connected to the risen Christ. And that just flows to us when we look to Jesus. Resurrection power is in our lives. Paul looked to Christ in his sufferings. And we see this in verse 29, right there as he talks about the power of the resurrection. Paul says, and it it kind of comes off in a way that makes you smile. He says, you know, I wish that everybody were like me, except for these chains that you put on me. And what he's saying is, I'm the freest person in this room. And I've got God's power in me and you don't. And history's on my side. And it's not on yours. And you are chained. And I am free. Even though you have put these physical chains on my wrists. I am the Messiah. The power is here. So, in closing. Let's get the message out. That's what Paul kind of teaches us, doesn't he? Now, let's not only lean into the grace of God given to us in Jesus in our lives. Let's not only depend on on God's Word and His resurrection power to to change us and, and to grow us and to change situations according to God's wisdom. But let's get the message out. It's not just before kings. Paul said... Look, every, I, was, I was obedient to the vision that I received on that road. And I began to proclaim it in Damascus, in Jerusalem, throughout the region of Judea, and all through the Gentile world. And in verse 22 in our text, he says, I proclaim the gospel to both small and great. You know something? 
will never change the fact that the gospel always goes forth and therefore resurrection power is always given person to person. It's always through the proclamation, the showing and telling of the gospel. It is through living it out and speaking it. Faith still comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And how will they hear unless someone is sent? We must flow with Christ and represent Him. That's just code for walk with Jesus. You know, who knows where the Lord will have you this week? Who knows in front of what people? Hey, I've had the chance to preach before senators and representatives and governors even in my life. But you know, next week I might have the the chance just to talk to somebody in a store or or somebody at a, a particular place where I might be about Jesus. Maybe we could just flow a little bit better with God and represent Him. And you know the other thing is, we must be the church. We are in a skeptical time. Do you know that? That skepticism is, is, is just descending on Western culture. And one of the things that is so important is for us to be the church. For us to actually, by that power working within us, deny ourselves. For us to love one another, give grace to one another, forgive one another, bear with one another, serve one another, so that the world will look and say, what manner of people is this? That is so counterintuitive. That is supernatural. And that is the point. That's resurrection power working in our lives through the church. You know... Paul teaches us that even our tribulations are opportunities. Every time Paul was beaten, he had to go somewhere else. And he was just happy to go. And in this case, he's being dragged from one place to another, and he's going to end up in front of Caesar, the emperor of the world in Rome. But our tribulations, even the the hard stuff you're going through, if you'll just flow with the Lord, if you will look to Him, put your faith in Him, draw on His Word and His power to work. Even that could be for the opening up of a hearing for the Gospel. And do you know that flow of God's will through us and through our tribulations has has an, an amazing way of surprising us about what it does in people's lives. You would have never guessed when I came to Christ that I would have even been interested Because I wasn't. And it was just the power of the gospel. There are people in your life right now who are watching you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if they said, I just see something different in you? How do you go through this? And how do you you have, you know, such faith? Doesn't mean you can't cry. Doesn't mean you can't wail. Just kind of where your trust is. Because of the power of the resurrection, it is here and it is through the gospel. So, let me sum it up by simply saying this. Jesus is risen. And Jesus Christ is King of kings and Lord of lords. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would help us to see that the gospel is the death of Jesus and the resurrection. Your work on our behalf because we could not make it to you. And if you're here and you've never put your trust in, in what Christ has done. You've been trying to do it all on your own and you'd like to come to Him and you see it. Just pray with me. Lord, I see it. I'm amazed uh, that You actually came from heaven. You did this for me 
And I want to turn from everything I've called Christianity. And I want to turn to you, Jesus, and what you have done in the cross and also in the resurrection. Thank you that even now you've forgiven me of my sins because of the cross. Even now, you have made me alive in you through the resurrection. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would cause me to flow with you, that this would be a journey, that this would be an adventure. I pray, Lord, that your power would work in me as I continue to look to you and your power would work through me. And Lord, we pray as a local church, God, that you would give us the desire, that you would give us the humility and the love that only your gospel and only your resurrection power can put in our lives, that we might live it out as we speak it. In Jesus' name, amen.